Well, hey everybody, welcome to Redemption. I'm so glad that you're joining us this weekend as we continue on in our series called A New Heart. Throughout this series, we're looking at how God relates to his people. And the pattern of the Bible is that God relates to his people through covenants. A covenant is a chosen relationship um, in which two parties make binding promises to one another. But there's a difference between a covenant and a contract. I think sometimes we confuse those two terms, but there's a really important difference. See, I have made binding promises to my phone service provider. I promise to pay them every month, and in return, they promise to give me phone service. Now, if I stop paying them, or if they stop providing phone service, then, then the contract is, is void, and anything resembling a relationship is over. See, I don't really have a relationship with my phone service provider, at least not a personal one. And that's the difference between a covenant and a contract, is that uh, at the heart of a covenant is a personal, loving relationship. Yes, it includes certain obligations, certain binding promises, but a covenant can't be reduced to those obligations. It's far more than that. Think about it this way. Um, when I was growing up, my parents didn't really set a lot of rules. Like we did not have like a long list of do's and don'ts. Um, but the rules that they did put into place were, were there for our, our good. They were there to protect us and, and to lead us and to, and to guide us. Um, so the rules were, were very reasonable. And, and, and even, even as children, we understood it, they, were for, they were for our good. Here's what the rules didn't do though. The rules didn't make me any more or less their daughter. The, the rules, and whether or not I kept them, didn't make me any more or less loved by my parents. The rules didn't put me in relationship with them or take me out of relationship with them. That's, that wasn't the purpose of the rules. The relationship was already there. They already loved me. They were already my parent. I was already their child. The rules were there to lead me and guide me, to help me grow and mature and develop. I like the way that my dad used to put it. He, he, he always told us when we were kids, I am not raising children. I'm raising adults. I'm not raising children, I'm raising adults. And I love that. That really was the intent of, of the rules that were in place, was to help us become adults, to teach us to be responsible, to teach us to be respectful, to teach us how to love and serve and give. That's what good parents do, right? Good parents don't make rules for the sake of making rules. Good parents don't make rules for the sake of burdening their children or stealing away their joy. Good parents don't do that. Good parents make rules for the good of their children, for the good of their children, to lead them and guide them and help them grow and mature and develop. Um, good parents make rules for the sake of raising not children, but adults. And the same is true with God. God is a good parent. He loves his children and he wants to see them grow and mature into adults. And so we have to have that framework in mind as we consider the covenant um, that we're gonna look at today. Because it's kind of a difficult one, and, and, and there's been a lot of misinterpretation and misunderstanding surrounding this covenant. So we have to hold in our minds that framework of a parent's, a loving parent's, leading and guiding a child towards adulthood. So um, with that in mind, let me kind of review from last week, just so we know where we are in the story. Um, God is and always has been a relational God. Uh, covenants are the means by which God invites us into relationship. Now God entered into a covenant relationship with all of creation, all of humanity, um, in the very opening chapters of the Bible. The first man and woman, Adam and Eve, uh, they broke the covenant. And, and since then, humanity has been in constant rebellion against God. 
And so God sets out to rescue his fallen, broken, rebellious creation. And he begins with a man named Abraham. He enters into a covenant relationship with Abraham, and he makes Abraham three incredible promises. First, he promises that he's going to make Abraham into a great nation. Second, he promises to give Abraham's descendants the land of Canaan, which is really modern-day Israel. And third, he promises that through Abraham's lineage, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Those are the three promises that, that God made to Abraham, and Corey talked about those last week. Um, so I'm not going to spend time on them here, but I do want to kind of situate us in the story. Um, Abraham marked a turning point in God's rescue mission, uh, his rescue mission to, to redeem and restore his, his fallen, rebellious creation. Abraham was an important turning point. He intended to rescue them, and Abraham was going to play a crucial role. Now, the Bible tells us, and this is really important, the Bible tells us uh, that Abraham trusted God. Here's what it says in the book of Genesis. He said, it says, Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now, God later changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. It was kind of a, uh, an indicator that he intended to keep his promise to make Abraham into, into this great nation. Um, his story is found in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Now, when the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, opens, um, 400 years have passed since God first made those promises to Abraham. Um, it, what's really interesting is that the quote-unquote nation of Israel at the end of Genesis was, was just a family of about 70 people. It wasn't really a nation yet. But in that 400-year span between Genesis and Exodus, Israel had in fact become a great nation. God has already kept his first promise to make Israel into a great nation. But they're not a free nation. In, in the opening chapters of Exodus, the people of Israel are enslaved to the Egyptians and they are crying out to God for rescue. God hears their cries and it says that he remembered his promise to Abraham and to Abraham's children, Isaac and his grandson, Jacob. He remembers his promise. Um, so God chooses a man named Moses and says, I want you to lead my people out of their slavery in, in Egypt. Um, and, and what God is doing here is he's saying, I'm, I'm not only gonna set you free, I'm gonna fulfill my second promise because I'm gonna take you to the land of Canaan. We're gonna leave Egypt and we're gonna go to Canaan. And so God is about to fulfill his second promise. Um, God miraculously rescues them uh, through a series of 10 devastating plagues uh, that he sends upon the Egyptians. The tenth and final plague is the most devastating of them all, and it's the one that finally gets Pharaoh to say, okay, go, get out, get out of my country. And so Israel begins to leave. They begin to leave, and Pharaoh foolishly changes his mind and chases after them. But God protects his people and, and finally and fully defeats Pharaoh and, and his army. So that's kind of the short, condensed version of the first uh, 12 to 13 chapters of the book of Exodus. But here's what God does next. He leads his people into the desert to a mountain called Mount Sinai. And here at Mount Sinai, God makes another covenant, this time not with an individual, but with the entire people, the entire nation of Israel. It's often called the Mosaic Covenant because Moses was kind of the key player. But the, but the covenant is not only with Moses, it's with the entire nation of Israel. 
And so what God does in this covenant is he gives the people his instructions on how they are to live as his people. And that brings us to a portion of the Bible uh, most often known as the law. Now, if you don't have a church background, you might actually be at an advantage here because it means that you don't have any baggage with this word law. You don't have any misconceptions about what the law of God is or what it means or why it matters. But those of us that do have, have some church backgrounds, we might have a little bit of unlearning to do here. See, we often associate the law of God with legalism. And it's often been thought, believed, and even taught that before Jesus, people had to earn their way into relationship with God by keeping his law. But nothing could be further from the truth. Now, nothing could be further from the truth. The people of Israel didn't become the people of God at Mount Sinai. They were already the people of God. Remember the promises to Abraham. Remember the promises to Abraham. This covenant is not replacing the covenant with Abraham. It's building upon it. It's the next step, the next stage. Listen to what it says in the book of Exodus chapter 2. It says this, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Now, to be really clear, God had never forgotten his covenant with Abraham. This is really just the Bible's way of saying uh, God is about to act upon his promise. So in remembering, it's not that God has forgotten, it's that he's about to act on a previous promise that he has made. So God remembers them, he remembers his promises, and he's about to do something about it. So the covenant that God is initiating here is not a new covenant. He is not replacing the covenant that he made with Abraham. He's not suddenly putting conditions on the promise he made to Abraham. He isn't swapping out uh, grace for works. Mount Sinai, the covenant made there, is just the next step or the next stage in his plan to rescue and restore his people. We have to understand it through that lens, or we're going to come up with all sorts of wacky theology um, about God's intent and God's purpose here that, that has no, no biblical support. So we need to understand that, that process. So think about it. God has already kept his first promise to Abraham. Israel is, in fact, a great nation, and they're multiplying by the day. God is in the process of keeping his second promise to Abraham. He's going to give the descendants of Abraham the land that he promised them so long ago. That's where they're heading now. Now, there's so much that we could say about this covenant made at Sinai, but I want to consider this covenant really through the lens of that third promise, that all the nations of the world will be blessed through Abraham's lineage. That's the angle I want us to come at. And the key passage for understanding it in that way is found in Exodus chapter 19, uh, verses 3 through 6. So listen to what it says. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message that you must give to the people of Israel. Now, the if here is, is what really trips us up sometimes. Uh, if you will obey me and keep my covenant. 
Um, now remember, God is not replacing the covenant that he made with Abraham. Uh, he's building upon it. And so we have to be really careful what we do with this, with this if. Um, the if here isn't about whether or not Israel will be the people of God. They already are the people of God. The if here is about what kind of people they're going to be. What kind of people they are going to be. Um, it's God's intent that his people um, will be the kind of people who serve as a blessing to all other nations. That's God's intent. That's God's purpose in giving them his law, his instructions on how to live as his people. Um, so they are to be a blessing by serving as a kingdom of priests and by being a holy nation. Now, so let's break this down. Let, what, what does that mean? What exactly is God calling them to here? Um, so first, God intends for his people to serve as a kingdom of priests. A priest is a, is a mediator or a go-between uh, between God and man. So God intends that, that the nation of Israel will take the good news of their king to the world and invite the world to participate in his kingdom. They'll be a kingdom of priests. He also says uh, that they are going to be a holy nation. Now the word holy means to be set apart or, or to be dedicated to someone or something. So Israel is to be dedicated to God. They are to be set apart from the world. Now to be clear, not removed from the world, but they are called to live differently than the world because they're going to represent and reflect their God, their King. That's what it means to be a holy nation. This is absolutely brilliant on God's part. If the people of Israel obey God, if they keep his covenant, they will serve as priests. That's what it's going to look like. They're going to take the good news that God has come to rescue and restore his broken, fallen, rebellious creation, and they're going to invite the world to come know the one true God. They'll be priests. If they obey God, if they keep his covenant, they will be a holy nation. That means that they're going to live differently. They're going to represent and reflect the good character of God to the nations, to, to people who desperately need him. So this covenant is not about earning a place among God's people. It was never about earning a place among God's people. They are already among God's people. They are the people of God. This covenant is about what it means for those who are already a part of the people of God to participate in the mission of God. That's what this covenant is about. These are their marching orders. These are their marching orders. God is not raising children. He's raising adults. So do you know what this means for, for our understanding of the biblical story? It means that God never intended the nation of Israel to become a holy huddle. It means that God was never interested in coddling insiders. Instead, he was interested in bringing outsiders in. And God brought people in so that he could send them right back out. That was always God's intent. That was always God's purpose for the people of Israel. Um, God blessed Israel with his law, and it is a blessing. That, that is the way that throughout the Old Testament, if you, if you read some of the writers in the book of Psalms, they talk about delighting in the law of the Lord and, and um, their gratitude, just, just oozing with gratitude over his law. They speak of it as a blessing. God blessed Israel with his instructions, with his law, so that they could be a blessing to others. 
That brings us to our bottom line. God has blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others. You and I are not intended to be the endpoints of God's blessing. He has blessed us so that we can bless others. Do you know why I love this covenant? Do you know why I love this? This is one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, and I love it because this is our story. This is our story. Um, Paul, an early follower of Jesus, once wrote this. He said, we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Listen to this. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. He's calling our minds back to Israel in Egypt. They were once slaves to a tyrant named Pharaoh, and God rescued them. We too were once slaves to a tyrant called sin, and God has rescued us. The last plague, the 10th plague in Egypt, the one that finally broke Pharaoh was the most devastating of them all. It was the death of the firstborn. The Bible tells us that the due penalty for sin is death. And so for the unspeakable sin in Egypt, every firstborn son, from Pharaoh's own household to the lowest servant to the livestock, died so that Israel could make their escape. On the cross, another son died so that we could make our escape. We deserved that death. But Jesus, the Son of God, took it for us. He took our death upon himself and in so doing brought us out of slavery, not to Pharaoh, but to sin. This is our story. This is our story. God provided the way then and he still provides the way now. Now we get to choose whether or not we'll follow him out, whether or not we'll take the path to freedom that he has provided for us. But if we do, we're going to find another connection between our story and, and the story of God's covenant with Israel. Um, see, the call that God gave his people then is the same call that he gives his people now. Listen to what Peter, another follower of Jesus, uh, wrote to the early Christians years, years later. Here's what he said. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Does that sound familiar? Does that language sound familiar? Kingdom of priests, royal priests, holy nation. The call that God gave his people then is the call that he still gives us today. The law was never intended to save anyone. Obedience to God was always a response of gratitude to the grace of God. That's what obedience has always been. The commandments of God are, are never a burden. They are a blessing. And God has blessed us so that we can be a blessing to the nations, to the world. We get to play a part in the, in the fulfilling of God's third promise to Abraham. Through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. We get to participate in that. We get to be a part of it. Um, God isn't raising spiritual children. He's raising spiritual adults. He gives us his instructions in order to grow us and mature us into the kind of people who can impact the world for him. He has blessed us so that we can be a blessing 
to others. So how does this change the way that you think about obedience to God? Um, think about that call to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. How can you be that in your marriage? How can you represent and reflect the good character of God to your husband or to your wife? His love, his, his grace, his, his patience, his commitment. How can you do that? How can you be that as a parent to your children or as a friend or as a neighbor? Um, how can you do that uh, with your friends and acquaintances who don't yet know Jesus? What does it look like to take the good news of God to them and to invite them to come participate in his kingdom? How can you do that? What does that look like? What if God has invited you into a covenant with him, not only for your good, but also for the good of others? Let me take this just one step further. What if God has invited the entire community of redemption into a covenant with himself, not only for our good, but for the good of others? See, I don't know if you noticed, but the language there is plural. You are a kingdom of priests. You are a holy nation. That's plural language. We are called together to be a kingdom of priests. We are called together to be a holy nation. We are called together to take the blessings that God has given us and to be blessings to others. That's the call. You can't be a kingdom alone. You can't be a nation alone. I need you to participate and you need me to participate. We have been blessed in order to be a blessing. We, we have been brought in so that we can be sent out. So let's go. Let's go. Let's take up the charge. Let's, let's follow our marching orders and go to a world that needs him, that needs to know him, that needs to hear the hope of freedom and the path that God has provided to get it. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you for this covenant. Thank you uh, that, that you do not leave us as children, um, but that you are raising up spiritual adults. Um, God, thanks for letting us participate in what you're doing in the world. We're so humbled by that. Um, and so God, I pray that today as we, as we go from here, as we get up from our couches or from our kitchen tables or wherever we are, that we would go out and be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, that we would represent and reflect you to a world that desperately needs you. Help us to do that, God. Help us to follow uh, in obedience, with, just with gratitude. Um, help us to be a blessing to others out of the blessing that you have given us. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Well, hey, everybody, thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I hope you'll come again next week because we are moving on in this series called A New Heart, and we're going to be talking about this new covenant that was promised um, and comes to its fulfillment in Jesus. It's going to be a great next couple of weeks, and I hope you won't miss it. In the meantime, have a great week, and we'll see you soon.